This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. Well, in these six and a half years that I have been hosting this show, six and a half, 1.5 bachelor's degrees. I mean, I have met real friends. I have. I've met real friends, people I interviewed on the show, and then whoops, I was at dinner at their house. Or those of you who support the show on Patreon that I meet up with once a month, you know who you are, that I've now known for years. Like, they've had grandchildren born, they've had come to see me do shows across the country. That has been cool. All of that has been so... Incredibly cool. 2023 was no different. On this first of our annual best ofs episode, we are going to revisit some chats that I loved this year, including one with Sabrina Wu, stand-up comic, star of the groundbreaking film Joyride. I know Sabrina. Sabrina's awesome. They also said on the podcast that I inspired them as a comedian. I'll take it. I will take it. Also, Lamia H., author of the Brooklyn Public Library Book Prize-winning memoir, Hijab Butch Blues. It's an amazing book. Also happened to be edited by my wife, Katie Nishimoto, who has also been a guest on this very show. Finally, the much-beloved incoming Top Chef host, Kristen Kish. All of these folks, charming, interesting, and queeros. Enjoy. And see you in 2024. Well, I don't know if I'll see you, but you'll hear me. I can think of a few comics who carry um, both like a masculine mask, trans mask, or just masculine lesbian identity, and also are Asian. I can think of our friend Irene too. I can think of our friend Just Tom. Uh, but like that is a, it is not a new identity to exist, but it is a new identity. <laughs> I invented it. <laughs> yeah, you invented it, and the three of you invented it, and honestly, thank you for doing that. Um, but it is certainly like a new identity to be like named, uh, put on screen, like talked about in press, and you're one of a few people who are like proceeding forward with this identity in like a public space. I'm just curious about that convo, like the racial dynamics of also being an out trans mass person in public space and the public eye. Yeah. Um, you can also tell me to fuck off. No, no. That's I mean, a- I honestly was just curious if you had like a specific question, because otherwise I'm just like, I will just get so sad. I'll be like, yeah, it's fine. I guess honestly how I feel is like, um, I'm, I'm, I can be just so negative. I mean, I, but I think I just was young. I, I, I perceive myself as a little bit like young, you know, I just am younger than Jess and Irene and like, um, and like being in a movie was just bigger than just like a bigger project than I really anticipated having to do at this age. But, um, just the one thing I felt was like, uh, a thing that I think a lot of people who are like queer and POC was just like, I felt like I was holding my breath because, you know, there were spaces that were meant to be, 
I just think sometimes it is really hard for people to hold the idea that you can of intersectionality, you know, and like you feel yeah. that we're like because like some of the projects I've been in are so Asian focused, it felt like the conversation around queerness and especially gender queerness would be like somehow lost. Like I think I was just feeling perceived as a woman a lot in my career more than I wanted to in certain projects like I you know that's really interesting yeah, yeah I feel like I always have to like you know and and that's just like a, a thing I will joke about with my friends where I'm like oh great like do I want to be around gay people or Asian people more because so do you feel like that like when people are asking you they're like tell me about being Asian just the concept of being Asian <laughs> and like there was not an acknowledgement of who you are as a person at all because that what was happening no, no. If anything, people were obsessed with both aspects if I was getting... It was like, it was mostly Asian stuff. And then at some point after after I was done being grilled about being Asian, then it was like, hey, you're like trans too, right? Like, what's up with that? Was, and some of like my friends who are Asian actors will be like, I was so tired. They asked so many questions about being Asian. I'm like, imagine that being only 50% of what happens to you. And then the other 50% is about like... It just, yeah. Um, what no, what I, what I meant was like, sometimes I'd be in like these Asian spaces and it, it would just become uh, like, wow, it's so awesome. You Asian ladies are like, just like, because they're <laughs> just so like, I mean, that's like something that happens, I think, around like feminism. Like you see it a lot with like feminism and you see it with turfiness where like suddenly like feminism, which I think is supposed to be about like creating a more just society. Like you'll see like, when it's not intersectional, it ends up being like cis white women trying to just advance themselves, like to play victim and like losing sight of the fact that we're actually just trying to build a better society for everyone based on like fairness. And I just think that can happen with like any sort of like affinity group or whatever, where it's like suddenly like people lose track of it. You know, it's like a space to complain, a space to vent, and it becomes a space where it's like there's no room for it just becomes really like self-centered and like I think that just happens with any sort of space around like any aspect of identity where it's like when it becomes super Asian focused like I think that the literacy and the awareness and the tenderness around other aspects of identity that can also be folded into like a person go out the fucking window you know like yeah I don't know that's like I'm sorry if I'm being so judgy but that's that's like I've tried to articulate why sometimes I get so annoyed in Asian spaces and especially Asian Hollywood spaces it's like um, sometimes I wish the spaces that I was asked to be in just thought more critically about justice, you know, like where we'll be like at an event and it's like, there's a double strike going and we're honoring like execs at Amazon. I'm like, can we just like have some solidarity with like other struggles? Like we're not, you know, that's, I don't, does that make sense? It's just like, it'd be so nice if just everything was built around like, let's just create a better society for everyone and all marginalized people. And we're coming from this angle of like Asian-ness or like queerness, but like, let's not lose sight and just try to elevate ourselves or like, sorry that I'm like this. I have sometimes like Mm. so many thoughts and then I can't articulate them, but yeah. And they're all, I was going to ask you to apologize for baseline how you are. You want me to apologize? (laughs) I can do that anytime, any moment, drop of a hat. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) <laughs> I, for the listeners on the I'm on my knees on a hardwood floor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's very clear. And it seems like both super hot and also super cold in the room that you're in. Like, just in terms of, like, temperature, you're also really 
um, suffering. There's like a lot of suffering at all. It's like not just a wood floor, but also a cold, a cold wood floor in a hot sauna. sauna. Yes. Yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my yeah. heating, my electric bill is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot to maintain. It's a lot to maintain. Yeah. So, I mean, you no, know, that makes sense. Hey, like, that's that's how I, I feel. I mean, what I will say about that is like, obviously, I am a straight up white person, but what I do. But one under- of the good ones, I might add. Would you say one of the good ones? I might oh, yeah. add. Yeah, you yeah. think I fly out for just anybody? No. <laughs> but I will say that, like, for sure. Um, I can, I can understand, like, I mean, for me, I just, I feel complexity and like, am I, you know, like fluidity is complicated. Who, what team am I on? And then like, sometimes feeling like I could qualify as a woman that, but then like I go and it's like, everybody's going like, Hey goddesses. And I'm like, not that I'm not, I'm certainly not. Let's absolutely not that, Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, it's complicated. And then what you're, so what you're saying makes sense to me, even though I like, don't have the specifics for what you're talking about that thing. And then add like marginalization in culture. Like this is a, it's something I can understand, but like on a greater scale, because it also has massive implications that that like I don't experience, but yeah, some of this I do experience, which is like, choose your, which is the great wheel that one has to spin around. Choose the identity that you are, (laughs) that you are uh, most carrying within this space. Um, That's complicated and stupid. It is complicated (laughs) and stupid. And again, I'm so sorry for going on and on and on and you know, but. Well, this is the point of this show. You know what I mean? It's almost like you're doing exactly what I'm asking. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. The last, the positive thing I'll say about being a trans mask Asian person and one of the few in the public eye is that I'm absolutely eating up all the daddy comments. <laughs> all the comments being like, Sabrina, it seems oh. kind of daddy. And I'm like, you know what? That feels awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also such a young father. Yes, I am so burdened with yeah, the yeah, yeah, care. Yeah. I mean, you're, of so here many you young. are. Babies, babies taking care of babies. Babies having babies. <laughs> That's also okay. Sorry, unrelated. But like, does that ever? Did you ever feel that weirdness around? Like, I definitely get questions about like, or just get asked about like, oh, how do you feel like? represent like you know like that kids are gonna look up to you you're like a role model and i i feel insane about the question because i'm like okay i wasn't even remotely a role model until you you know that presumes that i ever felt that way or um and just the babies raising babies i'm like no no no. i'm going on tiktok to watch the kids so that they (laughs) tell me how to feel if they're watching me then like who's flying the plane right now like it's not like, yeah, but obviously like, I mean, you are someone for me that I really looked up to and like, 
were like a huge source. Like you really were like a role model, but I, you know, that I am finding myself being asked questions and I don't necessarily think anyone actually looks to me this way. Cause I'm actually a huge spout of negativity, but like what, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, do you feel any type of way about like being perceived as like a, like a role model or a mentor, especially since you're now, I feel like you're just still obviously on your own journey, like all the time. Like there's so mm. many, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thanks for asking. I think, um, yeah, it's odd because in some ways, I think maybe something that helped me have an earlier comfort with that, or like, I don't know if it was comfort, like that made me feel more pushed into that is that when I was first, like when I was your age, um, there was less ability to access like truly, I mean, this is fucking bananas, but it's like info that yeah. anybody like me had ever existed before because like what what is what was I supposed to do go to the library like those book those books don't exist I mean sort of they do now around like queer history or whatever um or like existence not even history like I'm just talking about like fun fun existence you know but like the internet um people weren't even, this is like a pre Hannah Hart era. Like people weren't speaking in the <laughs> eye. Like people were, there was like the L word existed. That's not people speaking in the eye. That's people acting, you know? So like, yeah. um, when I, the, I was older, how old was I? Probably like, I don't know, 30 when I first read Dykes to watch out for, which is like a compendium of comics that Alison Bechtel wrote. And I was like reading these comics and they're not from now. They weren't from when I was 30. And I was like, what? This is like the same. This is like my life and my community. And I was like looking at the date being like, but this is from the nineties, you know? And like, so I guess what I'm saying is when I got jobs, um, in the entertainment industry, I felt like I was already like, yes, I am the first. Like, I didn't have information <laughs> about Fortune Feimster. Like, she hadn't gotten to Chicago, you know what I mean? Like, I only knew about Tig because she had, like, little roles in the Sarah Silverman program, which an ex of mine really loved. Like, I didn't, like, info wasn't getting to me, you know? And so it wasn't, like, from a place of self-importance, I don't think. I think I was truly just, like, making it up. And I felt like, and that felt insane and terrible. And then I, and then people were like, you're a role model. And I was like, I guess what I'm saying is like, my greatest role model was like me the day before, you know, like what I had done the day before. I was like, yesterday I wore a vest. So I guess we wear vests. Like it was fucked up. It was not a nice way to be, you know? And I know that, I mean, I just like feel, that's why I'm watching kids on TikTok Cause I, because for me, it still feels like community. For me, it still feels like learning. Just like didn't get that. I feel yeah. Like, Holy shit. I feel so grateful. That's so interesting. What do you think about that answer? I think it's just like that, the differences that we're feeling make more sense to me. I'm like, well, like you kind of were, like, I really feel like just Tom's child. Like I really would not have realized I was like trans mask or like really let my brain, like, you know, I was thinking about taking them since I was a freshman in college, but I didn't years and years. And I wouldn't oh, yeah. knowing just Tom existed, like open that door for my brain. 
That's so and so I feel so uncomfortable being like, how could I possibly be a role model? Like I have so much to learn. There's so much information. I'm like, you should not get it from me. Like I'm, I'm so very much like a student, but like if you're living your life where you're like, you really are sort of like pioneering your path because of lack of information. Then I totally see how that, you know, that you were like, yeah, okay, I guess I am. And like, for sure, like you have to have that confidence, like, but I'm, you know, and, and like who else did people like, unless they were also going to go looking for that compendium or whatever, like, unless they were going to be like a deep cut comedy fan, like how else would they have really learned what you were? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's cool that, I guess the internet and all, all this stuff um, and YouTube and TikTok is is making us all feel just more like we have a lot to learn from each other. Yeah, that's how I felt. It's yeah. so it is so genuinely weird because I don't even think this was true just for me. Like the generation, the way things have changed with such rapidity. Like I have heard people tell me that like a web series I made for BuzzFeed before Buzz when BuzzFeed was like. They were like eight employees and they're like, I wonder if this will work. Like I made a web series for them. And now people come up to me at shows, they'll be adults, you know, and they'll be like, I watched that when I was 13. And I was like, and I'm just like, oh, first of all, time has passed. And second of all, like, I, I don't think I realized that that might've been something somebody was watching for the first time, but I just was like, I've never seen this. So I wonder if I should make it, you know, like, and. Um, it's so I like, I think of Jess as like my kid in some ways. I don't know if Jess would be offended to hear that, but like, I have a lot of sweetness toward that person. And I do feel that there's like a, a masculinity, like, uh, lineage or whatever. We're like, (laughs) even though there's, uh, you know, even though I am white and I do feel like the masculinity lineage lineage still involves. Of course, because you're one of the good ones, like I said, (laughs) and I'm the arbiter. (laughs) I'm, I'm technically your grandkid then. I, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a really weird thing where I feel like a tremendous amount. Like, I think I said this to you and I don't, it's like, I don't mean it in a infantilizing way at all, but like, I think I said to you in New York, like I feel like just tremendously proud of you. Yeah. That's so sweet. Just thanks, Cameron. I mean, I feel like I said it to you then, but like, you know, especially when you do stand up, it's just so much like, uh, I'm going to go to this bar again. And I guess maybe a career will come out of this, but like it, it means a lot early on to have anyone who like does it that you admire, just like acknowledging you. It's like, it like bolsters your spirit for like years and years. And like, like you were definitely that for me. Like I had your album on my like dorm wall for so long just to be like oh yeah this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and it was so great to meet Cameron and and I think wow. I made you meet my rugby ex <laughs> like I just I whatever but what a fucking honor yeah yeah I mean like that but that's real is you know um yeah I'm rooting for you you know I care about you I'm rooting for you and I do feel that um it's also weird to like get to a little bit of an age where there's now multiple generations and I can like have had the opportunity to see people continue. Um, and it's, it's awesome, you know, like, and I, and now (laughs) I know that I wasn't the first one. Um, and like, that's cute too. (laughs) But like, uh, yeah, 
I love that stuff, to be honest. Being the first is overrated, and it probably sucks. So. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's important is that you were on BuzzFeed, and I also... That is a huge important. reach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back for another game you know it what's going on just one more week till max fun drive (laughs) hard to believe it's been a heck of a year since the last one we're now a worker-owned co-op we raised fifty thousand dollars for charity last year and we've added a bunch of awesome new shows but do you think we're ready to do it again absolutely lovely new gifts are lined up The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! There's like this moment from when you're a teen where you like have this first encounter with the idea that maybe like there's queerness built into the Quran. Would you, can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah. Um, So for me, that happened um, in Quran class um, in school. Wait, how old were you at this time? I was 14. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, in Quran class, we were reading the story of Maryam, um, also known as the Virgin Mary. Um, and uh, and there's there's a whole sort of like chapter in the Quran about Maryam. And um, we were sort of like making our way through this chapter uh, as part of Quran class. And one of the, there's this moment at which um, Maryam, so she's she like lives alone in this sort of like temple mosque situation um, because her mom has sort of promised her to God. And there's this moment in which this like handsome, well-proportioned man, these I'm quoting the Quran here, or you know, I'm quoting the translation of the Quran here, um, knocks on her door and you know, has and it's it's an angel from God, and you know, this angel has a message for Maryam for God. And, um, you know, Maryam lives all alone. And, you know, there's this handsome man knocking on her door. And she's like, no, thank you. You know, please leave. And I don't know, there's, there is this, there was something in me at 14 that was so intrigued by this, by this moment. And then when you keep sort of like reading, um, what happens is that the angel is like, no, no, hold on, hold on. Um, I'm actually an angel from God, and I'm here to tell you that you're pregnant. You're going to have a baby. And then she has this moment where she's like, absolutely not. No man, no man has touched me. And I don't know, something about, to me, at 14, like, just like hearing that was just so powerful because I was like, wait, there are people like me? like not just in the Quran, but just like in the world, what? Um, And because, yeah, I mean, like, and, you know, in in this chapter, I talk about how Maryam was a dyke. Doesn't that totally make sense? Um, But 
you know, like, and, you know, again, like maybe she was and maybe she wasn't, but to me, there's something so powerful about her refusal in that moment. And just like, I, I felt this like immense connection with her and yeah. Um, it's interesting because that's also the year that I, you know, started wearing hijab and started like reading the Quran so much more. And, and yeah, I don't know, to me, um, those things are connected, just that moment of sort of like seeing something that felt akin to myself in this story and um, just, yeah, wanting to be closer to Maryam and to God. I feel like I've had that conversation with many gynecologists that you're talking about <laughs> God, Mary, 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 that angel. Um, but Cameron, are you yeah. sure you're not <laughs> pregnant? Like, I'm so sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, again, actually, I, I will say that the time I thought about this for the fucking first time in my life, because I did sort of have a moment where I thought about this, mm. was when I was um, doing an egg retrieval. And I was like, oh, I know someone that perhaps <laughs> got pregnant in a kind of a similar way, but like with very different uh, tools. Whoa. <laughs> um, that was pretty wild for me. Um, I was a very different age. Cause that was like last year. Mm. Um, but I did have the same thought actually, or like a similar thought around like this story I grew up with. I do not know if it means what you think it means, <laughs> you know? Um, and it was, it was very cool. Uh, having that thought. I also just want to follow up on, so you still, uh, cover your hair. I do out in the world. Yes. And, um, there's a moment where you're like talking to a doctor in the book, which first of all, again, I mean like about a lot of things in the world, like people who were born in the United States are idiots. Like that's just fucking true. And I actually didn't know. And I have like friends who've emigrated here. I didn't know you had to have a medical exam Yeah. for immigration. I didn't know that. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. And it expires every year, which is so annoying because it means that if your application is stuck in processing for more than a year, you need a, you need another you need another medical evaluation to, you know, prove that you're off sound health and mind to immigrate to this country. Isn't that wild? Yes. Yes, it is wild. Yes, it is wild. I, that seems like an extremely uh, difficult hoop to jump through again and again. Um, but you were having this medical exam and the doctor like specifically asked you about your decision to uh, wear hijab. And I just was, I wanted to, to have you sort of like recount that moment because I feel like, again, like maybe in your world, these are conversations that um, you're hearing about a lot, but I don't mm. know that they are convos that I think have like gotten as much um space as they deserve mm. so um first of all for context this was an anti-doctor um by which i mean uh the the woman who is doing um the the she the woman who is sort of like doing my medical exam was was you know like she was like an auntie like the the aunties that i grew up around um and you know i think one of the things that makes aunties aunties, like one of their defining characteristics is they're uh, prying into people's businesses. <laughs> um, and so I just like, it was, it was hilarious because, um, you know, she, 
ask me all of these questions that are on the form, like, you know, uh, just like, like, what meds do you take? Um, you know, is, have you ever engaged in sex work? Like, just what? Yeah. Anyway, um, and, you know, we, uh, we get to the end, and she realizes that I'm gay. And then in this very auntie turn of events, she goes, but then why do you still wear hijab? Like, what do you say to that? Um, well, in that situation, I I felt like I couldn't really say anything because she's basically, she yeah. has all the power in the situation. Right. You didn't, I don't think you did say yeah, anything in the book, yeah. but I'm curious as to like, just yeah. in your own heart, what you say to that. To me, um, I don't know. Hijab is something that I've been wearing for a long time. Um, I've been wearing it since I was 14. And to me, the biggest reason that I wear it is because it feels like a way to feel closer to God. Um, it feels like it feels like a reminder on a daily basis to myself um, of something that I'm aspiring to, which is just like, which is just sort of like using this concept of God to be a better person in the world, um, to just constantly I don't know, remember that there's something bigger outside of me, um, whether it's the universe or God or whatever, but just, I don't know, just a reminder that there's something outside of me and there's something that I'm aspiring towards, um, which is, you know, being um, kind to people that I don't know, um, being more patient, um, thinking through concepts of justice and, yeah, to me, it's like a daily reminder of that. Um, yeah, I know that like, I know that people talk about sort of like modesty um, and other concepts when it comes to hijab, but none of those have really like, none of those have really called out to me. Um, to me, it's, it's just, it's more this idea of being present and being conscious about my decisions um and you know sometimes I wear um a headscarf um and sometimes I wear a beanie and um sometimes I wear a backwards baseball cap um and to me those are all forms of hijab but that I mean because I I noticed that you're wearing a beanie today and I and I already was like oh I see what that is but is that something that what would like the tradition you grew up in say about that like would is that something that folks would accept or is that a personal um concept? i think it's a, i think it's a bit of both i think hijab looks very different um in different places in the muslim world um uh a lot of people also wear sort of like turban hijabs i don't know if you've ever seen those super stylish like fashionista like totally hijab. i totally oh have God, i feel yeah. like what i haven't seen is beanie baseball cap I feel like really? that's the ones okay, I haven't seen. Yeah. Okay, because I'm trying to go for this like hijabi slob fashion, you know. I mean, uh, number one, fucking like <laughs> under, you know, like you look fabulous. So it's not that. But I just you. feel like that's, I haven't seen it. I'm still in my workout clothes from this mm -hmm. morning. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think like I think there's so many hijabi fashionistas in the world, mm -hmm. and really like power to them. But mm -hmm. I'm just trying to be a uh, hijabi slob. <laughs> May I suggest uh, the portmanteau hislab? You know, just an idea. Just <laughs> oh an idea. <laughs> I can't believe I've never come up with yeah. that. Yeah, hey man, stick I'm with me. I'm crediting you, Cameron. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> every time I use that. Yeah. 
You know, the other thing that I really like about the way that you describe that, because this is something that is like so, well, like obviously I'm not telling you anything when I say that this is like, in a Western sense can be very contentious, misunderstood, a way to draw attention. But then like, there's also, you know, growing up here, the like media and information that's delivered from the rest of the world that I think it's also like very, um, the info is very across the board about like, Mm. are people being oppressed? Are people being given Mm. a choice? Like some folks are saying, this is actually me like standing in my power. Then there's like, you know, somebody who like, whoever it is, whether they're even in the community, like some random like white woman in Iowa being like, I don't want this to, you know, so it's like, there's just a ton of conversation about this. Um, And that's, I'm not trying to get into that. I think what I'm more trying to say is given all that conversation, I I liked what you said about just like the personal interaction and like, and also the reminder, because I think that thing as a way of like contextualizing this, not that people need, not that like you need to fucking justify your existence to anybody else, but it's just an interesting way of contextualizing it because like, yeah, there's a million things that in the Western world we do. Right. And totally accept like, here's one that I'm fucking wearing right now. A fucking wedding ring. Mm. You know, like, that's the reason people wear wedding rings. Number one, they're, like, circles, so it's, like, it can never be broken. But then also, like, people wear wedding rings for a reminder. Or lots of people wear crosses for a reminder. Like, I, I'm not wearing it today, but I have a, um, I, like, left it at a hotel that I've been staying at for work. And don't worry. I called them day and night until they found, they told me they found it. But I have a cornicello from my family, which is, um, it's, like, this horn that exists in the... Italian tradition that means protection and mm. you actually can't buy it for yourself and have it be effective. Somebody has to give it to you. So the one that I have right now was given to me by my sister. Previously I had one given to me by my father and I wear it every day to remind me that I'm protected and like part of a family. So again, it's like, it doesn't have to be the same level of symbol. I'm not necessarily talking about an encounter with God Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly have things in my own life that I do as a reminder of how I am plugged into everything. That makes sense. Yeah. That's a real thing that exists in the world. Feeling connected. Um, so you have a partner. Yes. Today you go to a mosque yes. today and are those two things at all, do those two parts of your life at all interact? I don't mm. know the answer to that. Like, like, is that like, does your partner come to the mosque? I literally don't know like how this is. I don't know what is appropriate in this context. Like I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. So also, you know, the pandemic happened and is happening. And so going to the mosque uh, looks very different um, these days. Um, But so, so my partner has come to visit my family in before um, and sort of like in the past and sort of we pretended to be friends. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I also don't have a good answer to this question because like pandemic happened and totally. like mosque going has like become, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean. I can tell yeah. you why I'm asking if that yeah, helps you please, to, yeah. you know, cause I have had a curiosity in the last couple of years about like if there's a faith community that I mm. could be a part of. And um, currently, right now, I'm going to, like, a Unitarian church, mm-hmm. which is, it's very interesting. Yeah. Like, Unitarian church is really interesting. It's, it does draw, the, un, the Unitarian 
Unitarian Universalist and they they do draw from Christianity. They also draw yeah. from like all religious texts. So it's not like a Christian mm. tradition. Um, and also they draw from like general ideas of social justice. Mm. So like, I mean, everybody's really old. Otherwise it would feel a little like, I don't even know what to say. I don't want to say Coachella vibe. It's like, yeah. there's a little bit of like, a, it's amazing that we created this, but also like, this does seem a little fucking... L.A., baby, even though it exists everywhere. <laughs> um, but people are fucking old there, and I think they really do believe what, they, what they're saying, and, like, the minister is this, like, fucking old-ass woman, and I fuck, I love to hear what she has to say. So I'm currently um, enjoying that experience. But I also have, like, experimented with, for instance, like, going to various churches, even Catholic mm. churches. I brought my wife, Katie, with me, and there have been times, you know, like, technically, in the Catholic Church, I am not able to take communion, um, oh, interesting. Because of like the choices that I've made in my life. Like I'm a, I'm a divorcee. I'm uh, also was gay. Like when I got married to begin with. So there's like a lot of, so then to know that and bring somebody into that space, not just bring my own body into space, bring somebody else mm. into that space. Um, like Katie left one time when we had, <laughs> and just went and like walked around, but like, yeah, you know, it's a lot to, um, it's, there's one thing to like, do the work inside of yourself, but then there's just, it's another thing to try to make those things intersect like outside of yourself. That's why I was asking this question. So to sort of answer your question, um, I, a, a bunch of sort of, a bunch of uh, queer Muslims here, um, we kind of have our own community. Um, we do uh, iftars every day in Ramadan, even if it's like not in person, like sometimes they're virtual. Um, and we've just been putting, building a, we've been putting a lot of effort into, um, into, you know, like doing Eid prayers together. Um, and I take my partner to those and that feels really meaningful to have her there. Um, yeah, it, it feels really meaningful to have her there. Oh, and the other reason that I'll say that, <laughs> that I'm asking this question that people would know if they hadn't read the book is that like your partner is not. Yes. Muslim, which is why I'm like yeah. asking this. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, look, people should read Hijab Witch Blues. That's absolutely true. Um, and also, I just really appreciate your um, your time and energy today. You know, like it's, mm. uh, I think it's a lot for me as just a, an adult person to just feel like, man, I don't know anything mm. about this. And I actually think I'm somebody who's, more interested than the average bear in like other religious traditions that I wasn't raised in. Um, so it is like very, yeah, I appreciate your graciousness around, you know, answering these questions. Of at course. Like a, an elementary school level. Um. I got you. <laughs> Thank you. I certainly get surd mm. a lot. And then I also think now, and also I've like had this for me at the airport, it's actually, I've had experiences in the, um, I don't even usually use this cause I have like TSA pre partially yeah, for yeah. this reason, but like the magnetometer, which is the thing that you go yes. through if you don't have TSA pre it yep. registers it. Like they have to push man or woman I yes. like on the, the TSA person before you go in has to push man or woman. And, I've gone through multiple times 
wearing men's pants. Mm -hmm. And so there's like material in the crotch that they're not expecting. It's that this is like that fucking detailed. So then they have to like touch your crotch Mm -hmm. because they're not sure if you're like hoarding something or carrying something on. But it's just like the buttons that are on my men's crotch. (laughs) And um, (laughs) anyway, this is why this is why I was this is why besides how much I um, travel also like the it's a great reason to have TSA pre because you just yes. go walk through the metal detector yeah. as opposed to the crotch awareness machine that yeah. is kind of, uh, pretty traumatizing yes. to be constantly crotch touched. <laughs> and uh, even if, like I highly rec- I started doing clear um, out of just efficiency, uh, uh-huh. but even there, you don't even have to show your ID. You just bang your eyes and I'm like, yeah, whatever, yeah, the yeah. government has all my sure, DNA yeah, anyways. Yeah. Um, what do I care? And I'm like, I can avoid all of it. Just like, I don't want to, it's, it gives me, it brings a lot of anxiety into my life. I understand. Um, and it's just, it's too much. I'm like, so it's obnoxious. It's just like that you can't wear the pants you want to wear and wearing a hoodie and sneakers gets me cold, sir. Yeah, I get it. And I mean, that's why I was saying the thing about, like, I was asking you about your height and then, cause the thing I will say is that I am small. I'm like, I'm five, four. Mm -hmm. And I also have like, large breasts i just Mm. do and uh if i i think that it affects like i would maybe be more likely to be called a slur than than sir although i'm also frequently sir because i do think that the like height boobs thing i think people have a different thing of what's going on so it's not that i've never surprised somebody in a bathroom i certainly have had that happen but i think oftentimes people are just like oh Mm. a dyke you know like mm-hmm. that's like the vibe um yeah. and it's uh that's a whole experience as well yeah um but it's a lot. I, tr- I try to say something before someone can address me like when, uh, even sitting in the in the seat right my hood's up everything like headphones yeah. on things are going and you know they come around they're like sir or ma'am can i get you a certain a yeah. drink and before i they totally even say anything, sir or ma'am that's so funny <laughs> i know exactly what you mean when they're like or uh they just look at me. you waiting yeah yeah <laughs> Esposito? No, no, like no honorific at all. Just like Esposito? (laughs) Just like the sheer panic that someone else is having. I'm like, what happened to calling people just the first names that you see? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What like what what happened to that that time? But I try to stay ahead of it and it's just it's not a relaxed experience. I'm like I understand. I, I try to beat them to it and then it makes me feel rude because I'm like cutting them off. They can't do their whole spiel of here we have Coke products. What would you like to eat? That kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I've gotten so used to it, but I heard, um, I forget who I heard say it. It's that I don't, I don't blame someone for thinking that I might look like a man or whatever, because especially airports, it's a little bit confusing. Sure. I understand with what people are used to seeing, um, whatever, but it's the fact that, oh God, who was it? It's going to come to me and I'll, men- I'll give credit where credit is due. Someone said, um, I, it's embarrassing, not because I don't think that they're right or, you know, I don't, you don't blame these people, but it's because you feel so certain of your being. I am very much in my female body and I fully, fully take that, you know, I own that as mine. Um, and so when someone questions that it becomes embarrassing, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because you're like, no, I, I know who I am. This is who I am. Yeah. Um, which I, makes it a little bit 
harder. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right. I mean, um, it's actually gotten to the point where, like, I don't know uh, if I have a female body. I mean, this is something I've been talking about so much on the podcast in like the last couple of years. Like I know I'm, I am getting more comfortable with my body mm-hmm. and I have been working on that journey for a long time. Uh, but yesterday I had like a huge win. Can I tell you about it? Yes, my please. massive win. It was such a fucking win. I've been taking hot yoga classes and um, the place I've been taking them has like actually kind of nice showers. And since there are nice showers there, you're truly a disgusting person if you leave without showering. And people do. But what is wrong with those people? Because that is, you are, the whole point of hot yoga is like uh, an amount of sweat exits your body that if you drive home like that, you are ruining your car like yes. or whatever <laughs> lift you get in. Like you're, you are destroying someone's livelihood. You are disgusting. So I've been showering at the place and um, I yesterday, truly just yesterday, uh, a real yesterday, because I never, am, I'm never talking about six months ago. Um, <laughs> I walked out of the shower and like I had the towel and I just was like, I do not feel called to like put this in my mouth and sort of drape it over my body in a in an interesting way or like tuck it under my arms real tight while I like slide my undies. Uh, I just felt like, you know what? I want to put some like lotion on my legs and I need to and I'm wet and I'm just going to be naked. (laughs) And I actually haven't had that experience ever in my life where I just felt like, you know, um, and it is it is from being questioned and like patrolled and like monitored and from being, you know, misperceived or whatever it is. And it's also from like then being like, I don't even know like what this body is, but it's mine, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of times I've had a ton of complicated feelings about being. about showing my body. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was the kid that grew up with like, you know, all your friends are like getting ready and like whatever. And I would go into the bathroom and I would like go away. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that I'd have to really unpack that through therapy, I think, but like figure out how much of that was directly correlated. And because of, um, the fact that I was very much gay and I've always known it. Yeah. Um, or if it's just because I'm just a little bit of a private person and I'm just relatively, honestly, just horribly insecure, just like life in general, mm. anxious, insecure, all the things I am. Um, and I still, to this day, sometimes I walk around like my wife, I've been fully married and we've been together for like five years and I'll walk around and she said, Chris, like, she always gives me a hard time because she's like, why are you, like, why are you slouching? Like, I'll walk past her, like, just with like no shirt and I'll kind of subconsciously roll my shoulders in to hide myself yeah and she's like Kristen like like you know being my most amazing wife you're beautiful like you know stand up straight like own this body of yours and all this stuff so she's been trying to teach me how to fully step into my my body and being comfortable with it even showing it with the person that I trust the most it's just but in but in, in the other way it's like not to get whatever but like when it comes to the things that you do when you have sex with your partner. Ooh, that's yes. A, that's a whole different, like I'm the shyness goes away there. It's just like when I walk around, just like, too, baby. The the <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's a visit for me anyway. It's like a position of like 
power or connection, sure. like as opposed to just being out in the world and like vulnerable to, I mean, it is vulnerable, but it's, it's different. It's different. Like there's yeah. like permission and mm-hmm. chemicals. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally. it's an interesting, complicated relationship that, yeah. that, you know, I think a lot of people have with their bodies, not totally. just queer community, but just people in general. Like I would love to, I don't know if I know a friend that has never once referenced the fact that they don't like something about their body. Right? Totally. I hear you. I mean, well, for me, I will say, yeah, like as, a, as I, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. but you know what? Brawless is actually still an issue for me sometimes in sex. Cause it's just mm-hmm. like there, um, there's a, incongruency between for me that I'm still working out between like the body that I have, which is more of like a, like there's like some curviness to it. And then the way I like style my body by which I mean, I fucking work the shit. I work out all the time to have like giant (laughs) arms and like, so I don't just mean clothes. I mean like the other stuff. And, um, so that is still a challenge for me. Oh my God. Okay. Do you want to get back to food? Cause I do, but I love the conversation we're having. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. I'll you talk about care? anything. Okay, no, great. food is, food is a part of my life. It is not all my life. I have a complicated relationship with food because mm. of some of the body stuff that I have going on. Um, and I'm just curious for you, like, what does food feel like? Does it feel like freedom? Does it feel like creativity? Does it feel like a burden? Does it feel interest? Like what, can you talk a little bit about mm. that? Food at five years old was my confidence. Food, mm. like I loved eating food. It brought me joy. I loved cooking with my grandmother. I loved making box mac and cheese at home. Like it wasn't always fancy, but it was something that I realized being this kid that was struggling with their identity is like, oh, but I can own this and I yeah. can be good at doing this. And so for me at first, food was purely and cooking was purely this, this thing of saying, okay, well, I feel uncomfortable in 99% of my life. But maybe in this arena, I can I can be good at it. And so that's kind of like what started this journey of of wanting to become a cook and a chef. But like I never held on to like I wanted to be a secretary and a marine biologist when I was a kid. And I held on to that for a very long time until someone in high school, a teacher said, well, you know, like that stuff is kind of hard, like the marine biology and science and math that I was failing out of. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So um I never realized it could be a career or a thing for me until my mom was like, culinary school, you've always loved cooking. But food in general for me has always been joy. And so the best way I can explain this is when I eat, I mean, some would argue that I eat like absolute garbage and, you know, junk food, which I do 80% of the time. Um, But like when I'm working, I, I don't like the idea of having to eat breakfast and lunch and then dinner, because then like, I'm like wasting my appetite on three meals. When if I'm working, I'll wait till my day is done and fully enjoy the meal that I'm having and completely like buffet style it out. So mm-hmm. I, I am notorious for going to restaurants and ordering the entire menu. Mm-hmm. Um, I love trying and eating as much as I can in one setting. Now that's its own, some would argue, a complicated relationship with food. Like Kristen, why are you starving yourself until that final meal? And it's not about that. It's just that some people eat for sustenance and live, like staying alive. And some people eat for joy. And that's just my way of Mm -hmm. describing that I fully eat for joy. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, 
I'm like, I know I should eat breakfast, but I'm like, no, but I have that dinner tonight, you know, but I also wow. eat dinner at 5 p.m. So, you know, it's a late lunch. <laughs> well, number one, I eat dinner at 5 p.m. I fucking love a 5 p.m. dinner. And uh, number two, yeah, breakfast is also good. Just, you know what, if you ever, if you ever get around to it, but you don't have to, <laughs> but if you ever get around to it, we can talk about like, you know, some stuff. But, that... but I will say it like all growing up, I was questioned if I had an eating disorder. Mm. And it's because I have always been very, very tall for my age, especially when I was a kid and very, very thin. And maybe I can credit it to my Asian genes, my metabolism, whatever. Things could hit, hit, hit the fan when, as soon as I hit 40. I don't know. But it's just always, it's like my natural state of being. And it was a hard thing to also have to defend that along with the fact that I liked girls. Like, so as a kid, I'm like carrying these two things. I'm like, what do you guys want? And so when I would, I went to therapy because my mom was like, oh my God, does she have an eating disorder? And I'm like, mom, like I couldn't tell her because owning, owning that for me was easier than owning the fact that I was gay. So I was like, just if it, if it stays away from the fact that I'm gay and I don't have to admit that, think about, you know, assume whatever you want to assume. I don't care as long as I don't have to be gay for you right now. Oh my God. I have so many follow-ups to that. Um, but what was the first one? Oh my God. You just said something so casually just now. What the fuck was I going to ask you? Um, (laughs) wait, well, I want to, I guess I want to say, Oh, there's so many different things. The first question I want to ask you is what is the food you grew up eating? Cause I know you said box mac and cheese, but like, what is the food you grew up eating? Um, mm, it was home cooking. Um, not super fancy. It was like my dad would grill and my mom would throw baked potatoes in the oven. We'd have like sour cream and dried chives and, you know, canned green beans. And I grew up with like green bean casserole mm-hmm. and stovetop stuffing, uh, rice roni you know, things that were also convenient. And then my grandmother would teach me how to make these like beautiful stuffed cabbage rolls and cookies and different things like that. So it was a nice mix of, of that. But I will say the easiest way I can maybe describe it is just comfort. It's Midwestern comfort food, casseroles, yeah. things like that. Because you're from you're from the Midwest or you grew up I in the am. Midwest. I, correct. And then also were adopted. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, the reason I want to bring that up is that I would imagine like especially today that the contrast, I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that people um, imagine a food that you grew up with that's yes. different yes. than what we're talking about. Yeah. Especially in like chefdom and then with the like sort of new popularity of like white people who live in cities should eat other food if they want to, you know, like steak right. is fine, but w- what about a different kind of beef or a different, yeah. you know, like whatever it is. So it, I yeah. feel like we're like in this zone where there might be some assumptions. A, a, a thousand percent. And I've been, I've, I've fielded those a lot of my life, especially going into my professional career. Cause you know, I, I remember this, this car ride, I was in Austin and this, the driver said, you oh, know, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a chef, you know, literally as we're driving to my restaurant. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I'm a chef. And he's like, Oh, what kind of food do you cook? And I was like, God, I love anything. Like I love to make everything. Um, I love things that feel like comfort to me. And I just kind of like give it a blank. And he's like, Oh, well, like what? And I'm like, well, I really like, you know, making homemade pastas and different things like that. I grew up making a lot of 
pastas in my professional career um, from my mentor. And he was like, oh, like ramen? And I was like, mm-mm. I sunk in my seat and I'm like, God oh. damn it. And I'm like, no, first of all, jackass, that's from Japan. I'm Korean. But also like, no. However, that happened, I don't know, five years ago. The way I'm looking at it now is because I've had a complicated relationship with owning my Koreanness and my Korean culture um, and not feeling bad about saying it's mine too. And so what he taught me, and I've, I've kind of retold re- myself the story, but with a different reaction that I had and not being offended by it. The way I look at it is like people own and place Korean culture on me. Why can't I own it myself? Why am I having such a hard time saying I'm allowed to be this and I'm allowed to cook Korean food any which way I want, even though I didn't grow up having it and I don't know anything about it really. Um, And so what he taught me was the fact that like, if other people are going to own it for me, I better own it for myself too. Uh, And so therefore I've started experimenting and cooking with like Korean food and putting my own spin on Korean Midwestern classics and just Mm. having a little bit more fun with it. Um, So, I mean, is as jarring and ick as, as it was in that moment, um, it actually really taught me quite a lot. Maximum Fun, a worker owned network of artists owned shows, supported directly by you.